This is the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk on every team in the NHL. Hey y'all, Benders here with this week's THPN Spotlight. Have you ever found yourself wondering what hockey's like across the pond? If you're like myself, the interest in the Euro Leagues are there, but you just don't have the sources to watch or keep up with them. Well folks, the search is over. I introduce to you the Euro Puck Podcast. Starting this Friday, the 28th, tune in to hear all the latest news and updates from our new Euro affiliates. Hello, bonjour, hello, hey, hiya and previet hockey fans. Welcome to the Euro Puck Podcast. The show where two blokes from Blighty talk about everything to do with European hockey as part of the Hockey Podcast Network. From the Russian KHL to the Swedish Hockey League, the Finnish Liga to the Swiss National League, the British Elite League to the Alps Hockey League, we talk about anything and everything European hockey. Catch our podcast every Friday from August the 28th, however you get your podcasts, and on the Europuck Podcast YouTube channel. The Europuck Podcast, giving you guys European hockey. Hello, you're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm Mason Dixon, and this is Habs Nightly. As always, I am joined by my phenomenal co-host, Corey the Bayou Benders. How are you, buddy? Uh, preparing for the new age Hurricane Katrina. And by prepare, I mean I'm doing an episode of Habs Nightly. How are we doing? Uh, let's just be honest. We're not doing too hot. Um, I'm a little <laughs> heartbroken, to be perfectly honest you with know, you. You know, I'm heartbroken, but I've been heartbroken by this team in ways that I don't even, you know, like – wish to speak about and the way that I'm heartbroken is not because they failed I'm heartbroken because things just didn't go our way you know because this team has been nothing but you know revitalizing their colors in my life you know I will say this team has brought me immense suffering over the past few years especially this year but they this year you know, through all the pain, they brought me immense joy. And, you know, I'm grateful for that because that's what hockey's about. Watching hockey is supposed to be fun. We're podcasters, so occasionally, you know, we let that <laughs> kind of slide. We forget about that. But I think for the most part, this team, the playoff run they had was just phenomenal. Um, I I think we haven't really discussed – we haven't – like, we were just on – we were talking – we had a good long chat before this, action. We didn't even discuss any hockey, so I haven't even gotten your input. But just a general overview of the Philly series, like, what what did you think? Well, you know, there was two games where we fought tremendously hard. Um, actually, three. You know, that first game we played, we played rather well. Um, I think that – by the time we we learned to adapt to their play style was a little late on our end. Those two middle games just feel like I, I don't really remember them anymore because I've had so much excitement in the last game. Um, but, you know, those two middle games really 
were, were our downfall. Like we needed to step up and that, and that's something that, you know, we can, we can go into later, but overall, you know, the first, you know, against, against the Penguins, you know, we didn't believe in this team, you know, it, it would take carry carry price. Right. And then the, the young kids step up and we're excited, you know, we're thinking about the future. Then we go up against Philly, which, you know, I had stated, I would love to go up against Philly because they're considered the number one team right now, you know, going into this. So what better test of our future than to play Philly? And you know what, you know, like it sucks. We're not, you know, we're not going to play. I believe they're playing the Islanders. It sucks. We're not going up against Barry Trotz and the Islanders, but I'm so proud of this team and what, what they showed, is possible, you know, for the future of us. Like, they played their hearts out. And, that, yeah, you know, games, what, fucking three, four were horrible. You know, just absolutely fucking horrible. There were moments in it, but it just overall, we just shit the bed. But I'm just so happy, you know. I've, I have worn this fucking hat and this jersey down here for so long and having shit fans that don't know anything make fun of, you know, the colors – because we we haven't been fucking good, and they're calling you know, Mark Bergevin a fucking an idiot, you know. Like I don't I don't feel ashamed, and I've never felt ashamed to wear my colors. But like, instead of getting those harsh comments, you know, there's people like, damn, like I didn't think the Canadians had this type of power. Your future's looking good. Like you're no longer getting made fun of being a Canadians fan right now. And I guess it might be different, you know, up in Canada, you know, but down here, like it's the biggest fucking joke in the world, you know, other than being like an Oilers fan. Um, but I'm just excited, you know, like we saw the future of our team, you know, they were, we played the best team that we could and we showed that we could fucking beat them. And I love that Philly tried to poke us. Like they fucking won something. First off, you beat the one team that should not be in this and you barely beat them. You shouldn't have beat them. We, almost beat your ass so really if you're looking at it realistically the islanders are about to walk all over fucking philly and i if the game's on and and i'm wrong hey i'm I'm fucking from down here you know i'm used to being wrong about most things but you know what i'm not wrong about our fucking canadians we proved that we have a place to be and then our very very soon we're going to be a team that is scary we're scared in fucking toronto right now so I mean, that's, that's my say on it. Nick Suzuki is the fucking future, and I'll, you'll never see Kat Kendiemi be sent down to Laval again. Amen to that. <laughs> and <clears throat> damn, like I, I can't put into words how frustrated I was by this Philadelphia series, and that's mostly just because of how unlucky Montreal got and. Did Philly outplay us in game one? Yes, 100%. They outplayed us. We fell into the trap. We got dominated. (laughs) I'll say it. We got dominated game one. But Montreal outscored Philly in a six-game series. Granted, five goals in one game bloated that, but there there wasn't much goal scoring in this series. Carey Price had a .9... 0.936 save percentage in the playoffs, I believe. I might be a little bit off, but I think 0.936 in the playoffs. That is fucking phenomenal. Carter Hart played great too, for the most part, except for two games. Philly won this series not because they were the better team, which they are. They're a more talented team. Not because they were better coached. 
even though I do believe for as much of a scumbag fucking piece of shit he is, Elaine Vigneault is a good coach. He knew what he was doing. He was directing the anger and the hate towards him, and he did it really well. But it wasn't because of that. It was because of the six goals deflected off of Montreal Canadiens players. Ben Sherratt scored three goals in this Philadelphia series, and not a single one of them was for the Canadians. So, like you mentioned, the Philly fans who are out here fucking chirping, hooting and hollering, because Philly fans are, according to Tom Franklin, host of the St. Louis Blues podcast, I've been informed Philly fans are just the scum of the earth in every sport. (laughs) And I'm inclined to believe so after reading Philly fans' tweets and arguing back and forth with people who just blatantly don't watch hockey and just do not fucking understand. That this Philadelphia team only won out of luck. They were outplayed. They were outshone by outshone by a 20, 21. Did he just turn 21? A 20 year old rookie in Nick Suzuki a goalie in Carey Price, and as Kevin Bieksa likes to call them, the Trident, the Jeff Petrie, Sherratt, and Weber. They, Philly didn't outplay us. No, they would just they, – they had the luck. We had the fucking posts, and they had Chris Lee in the luck, bud. Oh, don't – and I didn't even begin <laughs> with fucking Chris Lee. <laughs> oh, my God. Chris Lee, since 2017, when officiating a Philadelphia Flyers game, they have won 90% of the time, regardless of the opponent. When officiating the Habs since 2017, they have won 33% of their games. And the fucking geniuses up at the NHL, Gary Bettman and his fucking clown job moron crew, what the f- that wasn't English, but I'm fucking pissed. Bunch of dumbasses decide let's let's put Chris Lee in for not one, but two games of this series. What a fucking joke! Well, ah, when you get angry and your your highlighted Canadian words really come out, it it's so fun to hear. I'm not gonna lie. Um. Yeah, what a joke. I never really paid attention to the Chris Lee effect until it was brought to my attention. Oh, he's a fuck. Oh, he's a fucking joke. Piece of shit. He did all he could to fuck us in that series. I haven't seen a ref that biased in my life. He is the worst official in the fucking NHL. I don't care. Who you are, you you can't... Bruins fans were agreeing with us. <laughs> the Bostonians were agreeing with us. We don't agree on anything. They're fucking scumbags down there in Boston, but even they saw what was going on. The only people fucking stupid enough to think that that was an evenly officiated series are the fucking Rocky Balboa Philly fuckheads who think that their their team is going anywhere. Guess what? You're not going to get six own goals from the other team against the New York Islanders. 
<laughs> this they are going to get fucked by the Islanders, and I am going to love every goddamn second of it. Um, you know the Islanders play such a such a aggravatingly boring style of game, but they're so fucking good, and it's really Barry Trotz, and uh, I mean, fuck that, that was so rude to say that they have great members on their team. No, it's um, fucking boring. But, that but, Philly, but Barry Trotz is, it has has a play style that works, right? And you might lose the room in a couple of years, but, like, when it works, it fucking works. And I don't see a team, you know, I don't, I don't see Philly having an easy road. Like, if they couldn't handle Montreal, there's no way in hell they're going to they're gonna face a team as, as well coached, as well, you know, cultivated – as this New York Islanders team. So, I mean, I, I'm not here to make the prediction, but I say they got a, they got five games. They're going to have five games to play with the Islanders. If they sweep them, then Philly's the biggest fucking joke. But, um, fuck Chris Lee. And, uh, and let, let's just, let's just get, let's just, let's just talk about, you know, uh, we lose Brendan Gallagher. And there was people that were saying he wasn't as big of a, you know, he wasn't the difference maker. But it's it's not fans of ours, you know. It's 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 someone who doesn't watch the game, um, well, our games, you know. Like he he's a, he's a difference maker more than just point wise. And I'm not gonna say that we did not look good in that last game. There were moments where we were outplaying the fuck out of them. In fact, you know, shit, we got five more fucking you know shots on goal. We could have we could have tied it up. Uh, Carter Hart is just. Little Carey Price Jr. right now. He's just feeling it. But uh, really losing Gallagher was tough. Um, you know, they did come out today. It's one thing I'm not a big fan of. But as soon as, like, a team's eliminated, they go on to show how many people were injured on this team. And um, But, you know, the Brendan Gallagher one sucked. You know, um, we obviously know that he had broke his jaw. And uh, your, your boy got one fucking game for that, which was – What a fucking pussy. Which was a fucking joke, first off, because if he can't finish out this, this series, why should Matt Niskanen, who – Matt, Matt Niskanen, Niskanen was fucking shaking in his little girly-ass fucking boots, sitting there just hoping Philly won that game. Because if there was a game seven, he was dead. Weber and Sherratt would fucking killed him. No, you're, you know, absolutely, you're right. You're right. Um, it's not the first time he's pulled that shit, though. Niskanen's been cross-checking people like a fucking pansy since he entered the league. He's been doing it for fucking years, and I can't believe he only got one. I don't think that's talk. I think because we were so pissed off around just the entirety of that game and then the fact we lost, that we're not talking about, like, how much of a fucking joke is it that a guy got cross-checked in the face, like, so hard it broke his jaw, and the NHL fucking suspends him for it. But Kokkinemi turns and has an innocent hit in which the fucking Sanheim turns into the boards and he gets a game misconduct. They basic they essentially got the same punishment. Think about that. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> like, like, what? And uh, man, I, you know, so I I couldn't watch the games while I was at work, but I was able to listen to the audio for them. And so whoever whoever is our audio team for the Canadians, um, they did a great job. 
but one of them reached out to Colin Frazier during during one of the breaks and asked his opinion of it. And Colin Frazier, you know, as respected as he is, just straight up said that the you know um, I, I think who was it? It wasn't Sandheim or I don't give a fuck. Who, whoever the Philly player was knew that this hit was coming. And you know, like, granted, this is happening at fast pace. You know, he turned to make the play on the puck but knew that this type of hit was coming. He turned away from it. You know, it's not like it was an un, you know, prepared hit. This kid knew it was fucking coming, and he decided to turn his, you know, turn the, the other way. Now, granted, you could say that it was he was moving too quick and, and someone doesn't think that way, or he was trying to get the penalty, right? So either way, it happened to work out in his favor. But Colin straight up said that that's a two-minute penalty, and but because there's blood, you know, you make it a double minor. So be it. You don't, you don't, send the kid out of the fucking game for being passionate. You know, it was, it was a, an accidental hit. Yeah. Kotkin Niemi was going for the hit. Was it, was he going to fucking, you know, put this kid in a coma? No, but he was going to play through this kid. He was going to play Sanheim through the was body. fine though. Yeah. Like, he he got right cut back on his up fucking... and played the game. It was ridiculous. That, it was a ridiculous hit, call. That hit, Corey, how many times a game does that hit happen? A lot. Where the, where the defense – they're coming up with the puck. They dump it in, and the forward pinches on them. It happens tens of times a game. It's the, sa- it's the same thing with uh, what happened to, to Mark Scheifele, or Scheifele, however you say it, where they, they were saying that Kachuk you know, could have you know, uh, slashed his uh, Achilles heel or whatever. Like, I'm not going to say that it happens every game. Kachuk's like, a piece of shit, but he like, is- <laughs> he, that wasn't intentional. Yeah, it like, wasn't intentional. Like, he, they pick their feet up constantly. You know, they try to skate on their, their edge. You know, I first off, I'm fucking from New Orleans. We all know this. But, like, so I'm not the biggest, you know, expert on, on, on it happening. But I guarantee that, you know, like, this shit happens all the time in the game. And, you know, it's not talked about until something like this happens. Like, this shit happens constantly. So for them to blow it out of proportion like they did, they made a wrong mis- – they made a bad call. It, it was a penalty, but it did not need to be, you know, a fucking game misconduct. It, it was brutal. It was brutal. But anyway, And I think so, it summarizes the officiating for that entire fucking series. Yeah, that, there were so many calls not made for us. And, I, and it's easy to say that now and – you know, every team's gonna say that, but they were they were blatant missed calls for us. Um, but you know, Brendan Gallagher, he gets to stay home, he gets his his jaw fixed, and he had a hip tear. You know that I'm guessing that's was the problem in Pittsburgh. But you know, kudos for him to find the magic. You know, in that one game, revitalizing his his team's you know chances and optimism going into game what was it game six? You know, uh, we looked great in that fucking game. We had Philly nervous the whole time. It just did not go our way. Uh, we hit the post way too many times in, in this. But, I mean, if anything, that just shows our accuracy is getting better. We just got to drop a little bit more. But um, I'm proud of this team. You know, I said that in my tweet. I'm so fucking proud of this team. They revitalized the fans. You know, we don't have fans wanting to kill Mark Bergevin anymore. In fact, what we're going to next is uh, Bergevin's closing closing statements on, on the season. You know, uh, before His, before we get there, can I just yeah. interject with one? Sure. I think a big takeaway too from this series, like not only we we talked about the play of Suzuki, we talked about the play of Kakniemi. I just ha- I just have two things here. A um 
a player who was consistently trashed on Habs Twitter, Habs social media, RDS, actually not RDS, TVA, which is a, I don't know, Corey, if you have any fucking idea what that is. It's a, TVA, no. It's a French broadcast in Quebec. They own the rights to Habs playoff hockey this year. Okay. They're absolutely trashing Jonathan Drouin, and they do it because he's Quebecois. But I will point out, Nick Suzuki led our team with four goals, three assists, and seven points in 10 games. Jonathan Drouin also had seven points. They were tied for the lead. So I've seen a lot of fucking hate for this guy getting trashed on Twitter constantly. But you know what? Jonathan Drouin, we've talked about Suzuki stepping up to the plate. He stepped up to the plate just as much, like not just as much, but just as well. He did what he needed to do. He put points away way more than, you know, we Tatar who had two points, you know, he as really much as I was, love Philip Deneau. Was, he really was. He really did help Nick Suzuki skyrocket in this. Yeah, you know, for sure. Best chance at watching this kid. Yeah. And getting on to Nick Suzuki, they talked about, how calm he is in elimination games and uh god fucking damn did we ever see it in game five and game six that just calmness he scored a goal i think he scored a goal in game five right and then he scored the two in game six and wow like the composure to be a rookie actually he was i don't mean to cut you off he would have scored two in five one was called back but, uh, yes, yeah, he, that's right. The kid is on fucking real. <laughs> he is so good. And to kind of trail off into the point you were getting at, Mark Bergevin said that he would, he values the experience that the, they, and I'm assuming this is reference to Suzuki and Kakinami, got in the playoffs far more than a ninth overall pick. And, his point was that we can get a quality, the same quality player at 16 as we could get at nine. So I totally agree. I think this experience has paid and is worth much more than a ninth overall selection. Like I hated Mark Bergevin for, for so long, but now he looks like an absolute fucking genius. Um, but he's not wrong. Right. So the ability to see these young kids and give them this exposure has skyrocketed their careers and their style and their, you know, their overall improvement to come by like four years, five years. Like, I, can you really – fuck, I'm, I'm really just making myself a hypocrite. But, like, can you really, you know, estimate how much improvement they can make from playing in the playoffs? But I know that these two kids have really skyrocketed. In these, well, we witnessed it. Yeah. We've witnessed what they've – we haven't – 11 games think, we played. Yeah, I, I think you're like I, you're saying it's immeasurable. But I think there are ways of, you know, accurately measuring, like, <laughs> with your eyes, really, just the eye test. Nick Suzuki and Kakaniami are two totally different players than who left. And it, it might get forgotten, but Nick Suzuki won the Molson Cup in February as the Habs' best player. So – if anything, it was a continuation for him. He He's only gotten better. And by the way, it seems, you know, months away from hockey didn't stop or stunt his growth. So 
coming into next year, you have to imagine Nick Suzuki is our first or second center. And how many points is he going to have on the season? Like, it's just, we're in such a better position now than we were in February. Absolutely. I, I, I guess we can just put this, I don't, I don't know any updates on Claude Julian, but, you know, we still wish him the best. You know, I'm sure that he is just as proud of his team as he can be in his state right now. But, um, I mean, every fucking day, Mark Bergerman becomes a better fucking person in my eyes. Oh, I know. Um, Nick Suzuki is, is going to be this guy's fucking legacy. <laughs> what a trade. Um, but but Bergerman's not done, you know. So, like, um, in his, his end-of-year uh, end meetings, you know, he had – you know, he, he talked on, you know, how this was this was such a big opportunity for the youth of our organization, uh, the youth of our players, and us being such a young franchise now, we have a fucking pool of just talent waiting to come up. You know, like, we, we're looking like a very, very ready, very prepared team in the next couple of seasons. But uh, he's not fucking done, you know, and, and Mark Bergevan fucking asked – this man even had stated that he was willing to trade our – I believe we're, we're at 16th would be our pick if we were to take it in the 2020 um, draft. The man is even stating that he would be willing to make that – he would trade away that pick in order to bring something big to this team to help us with our right now, not our future. So this man is still working hard to not rebuild this team but to just resuit it. And it doesn't look like we need too many more cogs to be changed. And this could be, you know, the change we need that puts us back in a, a playoff possibility. And oh, for sure. I can't, I can't sit back and be like, this is a terrible move anymore. I'm fucking – this dude is, has the wheel. I'm allowing him to drive. Let, let's see what he can fucking do, bud. Well, Montreal has 14 picks in this upcoming draft. And I believe it's 10 top 10 picks in the top three rounds in the next two years. We have 25 overall draft selections in this year and next year. We're, you know, it's a seven round draft. We went, we're supposed to have 14. We have 25. And based on the drafting of this organization, the way they can draft at seemingly any round and get quality players now. I'm not totally against trading the first round selection. Obviously I think it would have to be for someone worth it. I think you'd have to get either a backup goalie paired with a second round or round pick or like a, a decent left left D basically like a solid, not a top guy, but, second pairing, you know, decent left-handed defenseman. That or, you know, like maybe a, a young guy who's like 21, 22 who can come in and immediately make an impact. But if he keeps it, I know damn well he's going to draft a player who's going to make an impact. So I I just think Mark Bergevin's in a win-win here. And you mentioned how the Nick Suzuki trade is going to be his legacy. Well, you know, we know what Tatar's done. We've seen what Suzuki's done. 
Not all of that trade is done, though. There's a young guy. We got a second-round draft pick, too, named Matthias Norlander, who is a Swedish defenseman who is coming, going to come over in the next few years. And I'm telling you right now, he's going to make shockwaves the way Romanov did. So okay. Bergevin, like, when you say that trade is his, like, his fucking Mona Lisa, you're, you're not underselling it. I mean, you're not overselling it. I think you're underselling it because I'm telling you, Habs fans, if you haven't heard of this guy, look him up. You've probably seen highlights on SportsCenter. He scored some phenomenal highlight-level goals this year. There's been three or four that were just absolutely gorgeous. He scored one end-to-end where he just skated past the whole team and windmill deke two of the guys and then got like a, a toe drag shot. It was fucking insane. He's a defenseman. Second round draft pick. And the fact that Montreal has 10 top three round selections in the next two years, like we talk about our future. We talk about possibly winning now the prospect and the thought that we're going to be adding to our prospect pool. Like that idea just like, are we are going to be so fucking good in the very foreseeable future? Ah, uh, I, am, I don't know anything about this kid, but uh, I, now I got to go look at him. You know, now I got to follow this kid because <laughs> if this is a three-piece package and this kid's going to be something, yeah. my God. No, when I say, like, like he's going to be something, he is going to be – he <laughs> is the real fucking deal. Awesome. He's, he's just that good. Now – Okay, so I know that you're more of the, you know, prospect-looking guy. Uh, is there anybody, if we were to keep this draft pick, is there anybody you would want us to take? Maybe someone the listeners can can really focus in on? Or... Well, so this draft's really interesting because usually right now we'd be talking about Memorial Cup <laughs> and, you know, all that shit that happened. Uh There'd be there'd be some controversy about how Quinton Byfield or Tim Stutzel had made a last minute push and Lafreniere might not go first overall, even though we we all know he's going to you know do it. Yeah. But this year it hasn't happened, so the speculation's been weird. Players have been moving around, and you know, like mock drafts have been kind of happening. People have been changing their opinions on players, et cetera, et cetera. But nothing's changed about the players. So we're seeing guys like, for example, Jack Quinn, who is ranked as the seventh best prospect to start the year, drop to 12th. And this is, when I say this is a stretch, I mean it's a fucking stretch. But Jack Quinn played with Marco Rossi, in the OHL, he scored 56 goals in, uh, fuck, how many games do they play? 60-something. Like, he was the top goal scorer in the CHL this year. Right winger. Phenomenal goal scorer. Canadian boy. They have him kind of listed around 12th right now. If, I have heard rumors, though, that he might drop. And if he drops, hear me out. This is a crazy theory. Carolina currently owns the 13th selection. Mm-hmm. I see them drafting Askarov, the goalie, 
And I think you know who he is, Corey. He's the fucking insane goalie. And then it's Edmonton. Edmonton has been apparently really sold on Seth Jarvis. And then Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh is going to draft a fucking center or a defenseman. Yeah. Uh, so if you, if you go on Takeathon, folks, right now they have him set. They have them set with Conazari. So who knows? But yeah, it, it's possible. I'm saying that is your dream scenario is that Jack Quinn falls. If not, that you actually mentioned Conazari. I know we have a lot of centers, but this guy is a fucking beast in the WHL. 86 points, 57 games, 38 goals. He he can score. He's a center. He's Canadian. He's I pretty fucking quick. Like I, there are a bunch of guys. Seth Jarvis is a name you should look out for. Mm-hmm. Dylan Holloway. I do think it. Montreal is going to draft a winger in this draft. I think that's safe to say. So I'm your top guy. You really want is Jack Quinn. And if you can watch some Jack Quinn highlights. Trust me, you'll be fucking amazed because he is so goddamn good. Now, my only thing was, you know, you got, uh, you know, a couple of spots above him. You got that Jake Sanderson kid. With him committing to go play college hockey, you know, I guess you could say kind of like the same thing with uh, Cole was that, you know, one, his size didn't help him. But because we knew that he was going to go play, you know, college for a while, you know, that could easily drop that guy down, making it more feasible for um, Jack Quinn to fall earlier. But if he does fall later, if, if you talk him up like that, dude, he's definitely someone I will look up. Same as uh, that Connor Zary kid. Um, but, no, that's that's two we can look up, two I can hopefully look forward to, to bagging. Um, but who yeah. knows with Mark Bergevin, the fucking wild card himself, but, uh, not nah, dude, uh, that's definitely I, something I'd love to look into. I would not bank on Montreal drafting 16th. Okay. I would say I can see them drafting below 16th, trading down. I can see them drafting as high as 12th to reach for Jack Quinn. Cause I just, I just like, he's, he's a talent. You don't want to, you don't want to miss up. You don't want to miss this guy. He, we need goal scoring still. We need good wingers. Wingers is our biggest area of need right now to draft. We have Caulfield and he strengthens it, but other than that, you know, we're kind of lacking in the winger department. Right. Jack Quinn is a talent you trade for. I really do believe that. So I, I can see Mark Bergman trading up for him. I can see him trading out of the round. I can see him trading down, but if we've learned anything about Mark Bergerman, he's not going to stand put. He's not just going to sit there and let shit happen. He's going to make a move. Fair enough. Um, okay. Now, so it has nothing to do with us, but this really, I, I just have to say, I feel so bad for Mark Andre Fleury right now. And I know it has nothing to do with us, but for a fucking team, that is looking like they can make it to the Stanley cup again. And you have a fucking agent like Alan Walsh post this fucking picture in the midst of playoffs, in the midst of the beginning of their new round. It's, it's pathetic. I don't, uh, you know, Mark Andre Fleury had his, you know, he talked to the media today. It was, it was very 
back and forth as far as like he didn't mention that he had anything to do with it, but he didn't deny it either. I don't know what's going on over there, but Marc-Andre Fleury is going to go down as one of the most team-friendly fucking goaltenders in the whole league. He doesn't mind sitting in the back. Does he want to? No. But if it's for the betterment betterment of his team, he'll do. He'll sacrifice everything to make that team win. And I think it's just a, a terrible time for him to be dealing with this amongst everything that's going on. And, and a team that's still running very hot uh, was, was to do something like that. But I wanted to just say my, my piece on that. But now I want to talk. Carey Price looks so fucking good when he's rested, right? So that obviously oh. means that we have got to set this man up with someone that he could take breaks with. It's either going to be a two-parter, and we'll talk about it next week, or we could talk about it right the fuck now. But we have got to find someone to work with Carey Price. I mean, I'm not going to fucking argue with you there because it has become a fucking, like, crime to watch. It's just it's a travesty watching Carey Price wear himself out every single year. And seeing what we're missing out on when he's rested just puts a fucking bitter taste in my mouth. It just, mm, no. It's just, no. I can't, we cannot continue, especially after we've seen our suspicions proven to not have a backup goalie. And I can say, like, 100%, I might be fucking up the quote, but I'm not misremembering what he meant. Bergevin did state that acquiring a backup goalie is of the utmost importance this year. And he did it in a Bergevin way where he didn't fucking say it, but we all know what that means. I think Charlie Lindgren's days are numbered in Montreal, which I think is kind of a shame because I don't think he ever really got a shot. I don't think he got a fair shot. I thought I'd seen some great games from Lindgren. I'd seen some bad ones, but I never really saw him consistently enough to know. So I do feel, I do feel for him on that regard. But we need a fucking backup. We need a Yaro Halak. We need a Pavel Francouz. We need someone who teams like Boston and Colorado who have both just lost their starting goaltenders but are still considered championship contenders and or favorites. We need a goalie who can step in like that and win us, you know, 15, 20 games, play 30 games, 25 games, just so that Price isn't playing 70 games every fucking year. All right. Now, I'm going to fucking say this. And this is coming from a Southern idiot, right? There's a man out there that is playing right now, and his name is not Marc-Andre Fleury because we cannot afford that. But there is, however, one man who played last night against a team that is far superior to what he was capable of doing. And he is on a two-year contract. He's got one year left, I believe. But it's not out the picture to grab this man. Anton Hudobin. You fucking took the words right out of my mouth, buddy. Anton Hudobin, 30 starts, 20, I'm sorry, 26 starts in 2019. He's He ended with a .93. So first off, just like the beginning of the 2019 season, Dallas looked like they were going to be unfucking stoppable because of the moves they had made. The first nine to 12 games were just about all losses. They looked like they were going to have a terrible time. And then there was unity that happened. And the same thing happens in Dallas. 
in this first fucking in their first um, series against Calgary. They were all over the place until they were able to settle down. With Ben Bishop being out right now and Hugh Dobin taking the reins and pulling this team along, he had eight starts so far in these playoffs. He's sitting at a point nine one seven. Now, this is against Calgary and, you know, now uh, Colorado. But Calgary wasn't a pushover for a while. It wasn't until they started losing all their players. I mean, granted, the last game, they put up three goals. And you know what? The first two on Hudobin were – I wouldn't call that against him. It was bullshit. That last – that third one, though, he was out of the crease, and that was, that was a fuck-up on his part. But in eight starts, the man's sitting at a .917. He's definitely someone to look at. He's sitting right now in the playoffs at a 2.5 on goals allowed average. So this is someone we can easily look at. I'm, I believe his contract right now is at $2.55 million. That's something we can easily work with. And guess what? You know as soon as Ben Bishop is healthy next season, they're going to go back to Ben Bishop. Anton Hudobin has proven that he can be an essential player. And if Dallas is not willing to protect him, I think this is the guy to bring to Montreal. I mean, like I said, you kind of took the words right out of my mouth. Um, Anton Hudobin has never once in his career had a save percentage lower than 900. He has a career .919 save percentage. That is incredibly high, If just to give you context. Most goalies are hovering around the point. Most modern goalies, .909, you know, .905 mm-hmm. kind of mark. He's a very experienced backup. He's also been a starter, but an exceptionally experienced backup. He knows what his fucking role is. And <laughs> I got to say, I, I am totally on the Anton Hudobin train. I think this is a guy Montreal should definitely look into. Um, especially just regarding the way he's played in these playoffs. He's proven to be very capable of taking over in a very stressful environment. Um, I'm not sure exactly how much he's making at the moment. Let me quickly. Yeah. He's He's only making 2.5 million dollars for a backup goalie who can clearly lead a team through the playoffs. I just think he's a bargain. And if Montreal can package, you know, a draft pick for him, I just think it would pay dividends and it would go a long way into securing our future and maybe even competing for a title as soon as next year, because I think this team is going to be capable of it. Love it. Um, And just a quick assessment, you know, so right now you have, if we were to look into goalies right now, um, the, the top ones you could see is like Cam Talbot. Problem with Cam Talbot is if Mike Smith looked as terrible as he did, Cam Talbot might have his rejuvenating chance to be, you know, the Flames' number one right now. You got Anton Hudobin, which would be my fucking pick right off the bat. He's playing phenomenal, and he's definitely a watch, someone to watch in this series against Colorado because this is his big chance to prove that he's worth the fucking money. Corey Crawford, I'd never fucking get him. But $6 million, he's too far from it. His vertigo is going to hold him back for the rest of his life. Uh, you got Braden Holpe. Once again, it's a 6-1. I don't trust Braden Holpe. He is an amazing goalie when he can be. Um, but I truthfully think that he's going to be wearing the fucking the mask for Seattle. So I'm going to take him out of the fucking loop. You got Jacob Markstrom. But I believe Jacob Markstrom is going to stay with – 
with the Canucks. I think he's he's found a great spot to play in. I mean, fuck, they went to the playoffs this year. You know, they're looking good still. I think that he's just going to end up staying there. Robin Leonard would be another one on this list. But Robin Leonard, you know, if this Marc-Andre Fleury thing's going on, I think Robin Leonard, just like everyone else in the slack, Robin Leonard might be the one staying. I don't know what, I don't know what to do with Marc-Andre Fleury. But for right now, we can't afford to pay anything – I wouldn't want to pay anything over three five for a goalie right now. I think that that would just look – it would be unrealistic for this team that's already paying 10-plus for Carey Price. So, 2-5 at um, Anton Hudobin looks like the most plausible one other than just bringing up the young buck and bringing, <laughs> bringing Primo in. Well, I think the good thing about Hudobin is, too, is that he's 34. So in two years, he's going to be 36. And I don't foresee him being a plausible roadblock to Primo. Mm -hmm. I think he will be a transitional kind of goalie. And then Primo can work his way in and kind of transition in and out. And I think Hudobin would be a great bridge kind of for, you know, Primo starting to take over backup and then eventually the starting role. Yeah, And I think what, what what I was really trying to get at is that we got to see this season, Hudobin had a lot of chances, you know, to start, and now we're seeing him. He basically played the entire both series right now um, for Dallas. So you're getting to see him play at a first string, you know, the first goalie out. He's looking amazing. Granted, he's got a great team around him, but he's proven even at the age of 34 that he can. He's still got it, and he's such a bargain at two five. Oh, for sure. And no, I think we'll pick up more of this conversation next week as we see like what happens with Hudobin. I think it's definitely a topic we need to revisit. Um, we're going to get more from Mark Bergevin. There's going to be press conferences. So we'll be able to talk. So I think we're kind of going to wrap things up here, but I do want to kind of at least close things out on my part by um, reselling you Matthias Norlander because I don't think I did it justice. <laughs> All right. I just, I'm so sold on this guy and I just saw an interesting while looking at stats, I found an interesting tweet. So this is from a, the Habs Reddit. And it's Reddit's po- Reddit post from a Swedish Moto fan. So he's not even a Habs fan. Um, if you're wondering, Moto is the team that Matthias Lind- Norlander mm-hmm. played for. They're one of the, there's two teams over there in the Swedish league that have produced tons of NHL talent. Moto and Frölunda. Uh, Lind- Nor- Norlander got traded to Frölunda. So he's going from one great organization to another. And um, I'll just fucking read the post, I guess. I've never watched the Habs play in my life, nor were they ever my favorite team in the NHL as a Swede growing up. But I'd just like to tell you something about Natias Norlander. Dot, 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 dot. You lucky bastards, ellipses. I've been watching Moto for 15 years, and you're telling me you got this kid in the second round? I watched Hedman coming up in Moto, and I think Norlander is better. He's talking about Victor Hedman. He's saying Norlander is better. And now he will play for Ferlunda, which will make him 10 times better. They are really good at handling talents. You're getting a 60-point top two defenseman in the NHL in a maximum of three years. Y'all might not believe me, but you'll wish you did. You know where you heard it first. And then he says, thank you. See you in three years when I'm reposting this. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm not the only one high, on, high as fuck on Matthias Norlander. Hey, man. Someone who's going to say that that's a Victor Hedman in the making. He's saying better than Hedman at this age, at least. <laughs> that's, that's some fucking shoes to fill. But 
Uh, I've never watched Moda. I've never, I've never heard of this kid until today. Even though you've said his name three times on this podcast, I've, I've yet to look him up. Uh, <laughs> I now have research to do. But, man, that guy has sold, has sold, sold this fucking kid pretty high. Oh, he sold it much better than I fucking did, I'll tell you that. But, yeah, so uh, if you – that's my closing statement. If uh, you have anything <laughs> else you want to add, Corey. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I don't know much about Moto, but I think the Sedins played there. Um, uh, I believe the Sedins played for Moto, yes. Um, no. Um, folks, hopefully this uh, – I will still be alive next episode to help, and, uh, and I'm not washed away in some type of fucking hurricane. But, folks, yes. you know, uh, stay – doing your part in Canada because you guys are killing it on the COVID front. We are <laughs> fucking sucking it down here. You guys are the uh, the front runners still. I'm so proud of y'all for doing y'all thing. I'm proud of uh, Montreal for what they did. You know where to find me. Um, like and subscribe to our episodes. Give us a follow on Twitter at Habs Nightly. And you guys have a very great week. And we can't wait to talk to y'all. Yeah, thanks once again for listening, guys. You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network on Twitter at HockeyPodNet. New episodes every Monday and Thursday. Download at the HockeyPodcastNetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from.